Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Brighton's Glenn Murray keeps achieving new milestones. In October 2018, he became only the second player at the club to reach 100 goals. And he's also closing in on 200 career goals, which incorporates time spent at Carlisle, Stockport, Rochdale, Crystal Palace, Reading and Bournemouth, as well as his two spells with the Seagulls. At 35 years old, many strikers would be winding down. But at the time of recording, Glenn has already scored 10 Premier League goals in the 2018-19 season and shows no sign of stopping. For the majority of his career, he was underrated and at times written off. But Glenn has made a habit of proving his doubters wrong. And now he shares his football journey with the Offside Rule exclusives. Subscribe to the Offside Rule exclusive series on iTunes and hear from a new football guest every month. For this one, Glenn, there's a bit of an unusual place that I want to start because not every footballer can say that they've had eggs thrown at them, but you can, can't you? Yeah, that's a good place to start, isn't it? <laughs> well, why not start there? Um, yes, I have, unfortunately. Away, I think it was Blythe Spartans and I was playing for Workington. And it must have been... Um, around 2004 I imagine yeah I was on the bench and warming up with with my uh, with my fellow substitutes and and some some kids decided to throw eggs over the park and uh, and yeah we we sort of got out of the way and went sat back on the bench and and that was that was the end of a bad night so if I take you back to that time what other memories does that evoke where were you in your footballing career at that point uh, I think it's it, it's hard to call it a, a career back then it was uh, I was just playing for fun uh, playing for a little bit of money not expecting it to go anywhere near where, where it has. So we're talking about Cumbria, where you grew up, um, and I'm guessing that Carlisle United, that, that would have been your boyhood club. Was that the dream, to go there? Yeah, it was kind of, yeah. We used to go that through there uh, on the train, me and my friends, uh, and support Carlisle, stand in the Warwick Road end and, uh, and, and run. We had to leave about five minutes before the end and run, catch the last train home. Um, but yeah, I suppose, suppose growing up, uh, Carl, Carlisle was, it was who I wanted to play for. And in the English leagues, it's that club that everyone doesn't want to get, you know, in a, in a draw. It's the, the big journey. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that because literally every away journey for Carlisle is a nightmare. <laughs> it's so far to go anywhere. So when you were making a little bit of money on the side, I understand you were, you were a plasterer's labourer, so you weren't actually putting the plaster on yourself. No, I didn't even get to that level. You know, I was with my dad. Uh, and he used to give me a hard time for lumps in the plaster and things like that. So yeah, he, he, he was a, he was a, he was a hard workmaster. But do you know what? I enjoyed my time sort of on the building site and and, and picking up a little bit extra money playing football and uh, and life was good. And the saying goes that that gives you some grounding. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I. I I hear fellow professionals moan sometimes about football, and 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 I do too. And. And then so, sometimes I just take a second out and think what could have been and, uh, and I think about the cold days on the site and, and think uh, I've got it pretty good. Well, let's fast forward a little to when you went over to America because that seems like a very unusual move to go from non-league football to then having an opportunity to go to the States, which aren't famous for their abilities when it comes to men's soccer, but they still had a professional league set up back then. How did that come about? It was just it was just one of those those things really. I was playing for a, a local Saturday 
team. And funnily enough, the, the manager, James Irving, his brother, David Irving, who, who once played for Everton, he, he'd went out uh, sort of in, in the American boom, sort of in the 70s, I think. Um, and he'd gone out there and he was playing down at Fort Lauderdale Strikers. And, and he set up house there and he, he stayed over in America. And he was coaching a team in, in uh, North Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina. And James James had given him a call, basically, and just said, I've got this kid and he's he's pretty handy. Would you like to see him? And David's like, yeah, send him out. And, and I, I was in... I was in the job. I was working in a factory, and it was one of those sort of. I was I was doing my bits in the factory, whatever my job was, and um, I was bumping into old fellas that had been there like fifty years, and I was just like, I do not want that to be me. Uh, so first opportunity I got, I was like, yeah, let's let's go, let's 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 give this up and and let's go, um, let's go out to America. Were you at all daunted by that? Because you were very young still. Yeah, really daunted by it, but. Um, I felt it was an opportunity and, and if, if things went badly wrong, I could always just hop on a plane home and, 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 and be home within sort of eight, ten hours. So it was it was a risk I was willing to take and it was going to make sort of my boyhood dream to a certain extent come true and, and play football every day. Was it a turning point? Do you see that as quite a maverick move for you to make? I still don't feel as though there was any um, intent behind the move. It wasn't like Let, let's go out to America so I can build my way up the leagues. That that wasn't that wasn't the case at all. It was more let's just see see where it does take me and, and see if I can maybe forge a career out in America or or even uh, even after that possibly go to school out there and, and 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 play play for a school out there. So yeah, there was there was no thought behind the move. There's old scouting methods and there's the, the old school managers as well that keep their eyes across all of the leagues. Um, you know, we're talking of the days prior to YouTube clips being sent round, which seems like a really easy way of doing it now. But back then, Mick McCarthy somehow got wind of how you were doing out there. Is this how it happened? And then you were invited back for a trial? Not quite. It was um, Mick McCarthy brought Sunderland out on a pre-season tour. And funnily enough, it just happened that they were playing um, my club, Wilmington, and also an all-star league, uh, league team. And I was I was lucky enough to get, to get selected for the all-star team. So I played against Sunderland twice in the matter of seven seven days, something like that. And luckily, Mick McCarthy liked what he saw, and he said, "Listen, I want to. It was me and another guy. Uh, I want to take you back." Um, come on trial and, uh, and we'll see where it goes from there and I was like yeah let, let's do it sort of thing but my, my coach in America wouldn't let me leave before the end of the season I think there's about six weeks or something left uh, and I was raring to go I was like I don't want to play for you anymore I want to go back to Sunderland and he's like no you've got to bide your time anyways I did uh, as I was told I was only I was only young then and, uh, and managed to get back to Sunderland and I think I spent six, eight weeks there now, you talked about in the circle still now as a traditional striker. So, I mean, back then they were ten a penny. Nowadays, not so much. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's fair to say they were probably more in fashion then. Uh, at, at that particular time, Kevin Carr was playing up front for for Sunderland, who I suppose is pretty similar to to, to, to my ilk. And yeah, so I was I was just like, like you say, I was I was one of many. So what I'm gauging from that is still you were taking nothing for granted. That was my first real opportunity where I, it felt as though I could I could be back on track. Obviously, I spent my schoolboy years um, at, at Carlisle Academy, and and then the plan was to to sort of step into the first team and 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 so on and so forth. Unfortunately, that wasn't to be, and I got released at 16, and I had to take this alternative path. But after being released 
that this this sort of this opportunity at Sunderland was the first time I thought it could be a possibility that I could get back on track. You eventually end up back at Carlisle, and for you, was was that then? going to satisfy you or are you still quite hungry is it the ambitious Glenn Murray starting to come out at this point yeah 100% yeah um, so basically my, my trial came to an end at Sunderland and Mick said is there anyone you want me to call and I was like well yeah if, if you could call Paul Simpson at Carlisle that would be much appreciated and he was like yeah no problem I, I played with Paul uh, I, I obviously didn't know that when, when I've said this to him and he's like I've played with Paul at Barnsley uh, let, let me give him a call so I went, thank you, and, and thanks for your time, and thanks, thanks for having me. And it was, it was like, it was a wonderful experience to see what it was like to be an actual professional footballer, uh, at, at like sort of a beautiful setup at Sunderland. Um, and then I go home, and I wait for the phone to ring, and I waited a long time, and I gave up. I wasn't playing football. I was just, I was just working. I was doing my uh, labouring, and uh, yeah, the phone didn't ring for six weeks, and then on sort of around six weeks' time, it rang. And I'd obviously, I was a bit um, a bit low at the time, uh, a bit disinterested in football. I'd, I'd lost uh, belief in it. Uh, I obviously thought that Mick had, Mick had said that he would call and he never did. Um, so I was probably a bit of a low ebb football-wise then. And lo and behold, the phone rings. Um, Glenn, can you come in for a, a reserve game tomorrow? And my obvious reaction is, yeah, I'll be there what time and everything. And then I get off the phone and then I start panicking because I literally haven't done anything for six weeks. But it was just about it was just about getting through there and uh and playing the game and, and, and putting putting a performance in that, that that they felt they could work with. And luckily enough I managed to get in the score sheet and uh and yeah, so sort of after a little bit more time on trial the rest's history. That six-week wait, when you say about this low ebb that you had, it was one of many challenges that you've had throughout your career, but the first distinct one that you remember. Do you know what? It, it, it just felt as though he hadn't even picked the phone up, so I, I, I wasn't expecting it to ring. Uh, I, I felt as though I was back at square one and I'd had, I'd had a, a sort of a glimpse of it and, and, and that was all I was going to get. But one, once that phone rang, then I knew that the chance was still there. I'm guessing you've had conversations with Mick since over the years about that phone call. Do you know what we, we we've we've spoken uh, very candidly, but not 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 in any depth of of, of that phone call. Um, I'm not sure if he remembers me or not. To be honest, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Offside Rule TV, for exclusive video football content. I'm going to bring up the fact that when I speak to footballers and no matter how many interviews I've done and you talk about success, one of the first things that, that lots of players say is that you cannot beat the feeling of going up via the playoffs. So in particular, a playoff win. And that is what you got with Carlisle. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we um, we were quite heavy favourites in the conference. Um, I was actually in the stand at Carlisle to watch them get relegated the year before. So to be, uh, to be helping them, I signed in the December uh, so to be helping them try and get back in the league was uh, that was enough for me to be honest. Uh, I was happy, uh, and if we'd stayed in the conference uh, on a personal level, I'd have been happy because um, I, I was playing I was playing football professionally for the first time, uh, well in England for the first time in my career. But uh, luckily, yeah, we we managed to go up via the playoffs uh, playoff game against Stevenage at the Britannia Britannia Stadium. I think we won one nil and. Uh, and yeah, it was it was just great times. It was a really good group to 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 step into, and and I, I learned a lot in that group. 
And if anything, uh, I feel as though the club moved too quick for me because we got so within within me being a professional footballer, Carlisle. Within eighteen months, we were sort of, we were in League One, and the club just progressed too quick for for, for my ability. And I, I was still still sort of trying to find my feet at, at League Two level. Never mind League One. So, what is it about playoff wins? Why are they so special? I think it's the the thing that you can sort of go home with nothing. It's it, it's all or nothing, isn't it? And it's. Uh, and you feel that from from the moment you walk in the stadium as well with the fans, that even the anticipation before the game, sort of days before the game, um, it's all or nothing. And, and luckily, uh, every playoff game, uh, well, every playoff final I've been involved in, um, I've, I've won. Fast forward some years later, I was going to mention the Crystal Palace because you actually missed that playoff final, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, funnily enough, I snapped my ACL in the semi-finals against Brighton. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, the irony. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I missed that game, but um, listen, it was all about winning that game, whether I was involved or not. And, and luckily, we um, we managed to we managed to beat Watford on the afternoon and uh, and get our place in the Premier League. And it gave me a great incentive to come back from my injury as, as quick as possible to, to to play at a level that I'd never never played at. So bridge the gap for us between your boyhood club then letting you go and then what happens next because you must have had a, another low ebb at that point yeah it was it was it was tough to take but i think it was the right decision i felt as though it was the right decision i, I felt um i fell out of my depth slightly and i felt as though a move backwards what was even though it's it obviously it's not great to, to drop down a level it felt right for me at that time um I wasn't in the manager's plans and I felt that. So I got the option to join either Accrington or Rochdale. And to be fair, Neil MacDonald pulled me in the office and told me this. And uh, and he'd been brutally honest with me um, throughout it all, that, that, that he didn't see me in his plans and things, which which was nice of him, because I don't think you get much of that in football. It's, it's nice to be spoken honestly to. Um, and I was sort of erring on the side of, of signing for Accrington because they they trained slightly closer to, to where I was from, even though it was hours away. <laughs> but he, he sat me down and he said, I don't think you should go to Akron. I think I really think you should go to, to Rochdale. I think that would be the better place for you. And he said, well, what are your thoughts behind Akron? And I told him, and he said, that's that's a ridiculous thought. If, if you want to be a professional football, you've got to be willing to move uh, and, and sacrifice things. And I took his advice and, and went and signed for, for Steve Parkin down at Rochdale. So what sort of headspace are you in as a striker when you end up, when you're there, scoring one goal in every two games? Because that was the ratio you were acquiring. It was eventually, but my first game I signed, we got beat 7-1. Yeah, 7-1 away at Link. And I can can remember Steve calling me and saying, we really need you in for this game. It's a huge game for us. Uh, It would be a a big boost for the boys if you come in and, and... and obviously I came in and, and to get beat 7-1, well that, well, that was a bit of a dressing down that afternoon, especially when you didn't know anyone in the dressing room, really. Unfortunately, Steve, Steve didn't last long while I was there. Um, I think he, he maybe lasted a month or so. And then Keith Hill took charge. And that, that was a real turning point for me. Um, Keith Hill and Dave Flickcroft, they were just very um, enthusiastic. They wanted to, to encourage youth. They wanted to improve players and they, they worked tirelessly with, with, with different methods, fun methods. And, and it, I just bought into it and it was, it was a great time to be at Rochdale under those two. And I think um, being their first managerial job, you, you could tell they were maybe a little bit naive at times, but we, we were sort of in it together. 
and I really feel as though that that point in my career set me on the road to, to where I am now. Is it a fair assessment to say that during your time at Rochdale, that's when you're getting to grips with the mental side of the game? Because I've also read about seeing a psychologist, the fact that you weren't coping with defeats very well. You, you speak about that opening 7-1 defeat and you used to sort of lock yourself away, um, really mull it over. And then you were told, you know, go out there, go to the pub, go to the cinema, make sure that you're visible and, and carry on. That's another mental side of the game. And it seems that you learned so much about yourself during this spell. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, Not only mentally, but physically as well. This was probably the first time that I was playing week in, week out in the league. And then mentally, yeah, obviously when, when we lost, um, I think as, as any professional footballer is, they're not happy about it unless I don't think we'd be, be here. So yeah, I used to I used to get a bit down, a bit a bit um sort of yeah, be a bit unresponsive, um mull over the game, think about possible opportunities where I could have done better. Maybe chances I I sh- should have done better with. Uh, obviously, I'm at that end of the field that if if uh if you get a chance and you score it, it changes the whole whole context of the game. Obviously, a, a young forward does miss opportunities, as does everyone, but I suppose that a young one misses more. And uh, yeah, it will play on my mind uh, over the weekend until you sort of could get it out of your system in training on the Monday, Tuesday of the following week. And, and that, that's when I did sort of turn to somebody to, to say this this isn't right. Um, it's obviously, I'm not happy when we're losing. It, it, you can't live your life on on a so-called roller coaster of, of emotions through, through uh, winning and losing, even though I think most footballers do to a certain extent. Um, so I went and seen him and he said, listen, just, he said, when you win, are you happy? I'm like, yeah, I am happy, very happy. He's like, do you, are you bothered about what you're doing when you, when you win? I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy, to, I'm content to do anything, whether that be sit on the sofa, watch TV all night, go out, whatever, uh, I'll be happy. He's like, and what about if you lose? I'll say, I'll sit on the sofa and I won't be happy. He's like, right, well, get yourself out there. I want you to make yourself happy. I don't want sort of your life to revolve around, around results. And that, that was, that was, uh, that was good for me. It was uh, it was big for me, and it was something that I've I've carried on throughout my career. We won't go through every single f- phase of your life in terms of your career. I think lots of people know that you ended up at Brighton, then you've been at Palace, uh, you're back at Brighton for for a second spell. You also had a loan spell with Bournemouth, so you've obviously liked the South Coast quite a lot. Um, I just want to talk about managers who I think might have been quite critical to, to where you are, just purely because when you look at it, they pretty much revolved the team around you. And that would be Ian Holloway, am I right? And Chris Hewton here. Yeah, possibly. I think um, I think Dougie Freeman can be added to that list as well because he, he was the one that, that set that Palace team up, how it was. Uh, obviously, he he decided to move on and, and, and go and join Bolton um, n- not far into the season. Um and then Ian Holloway came in and, and, and didn't really change much. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose the team was set up um, around me and the wingers. I obviously had great wingers in Wilfred Zaha and uh, Yannick Balassi feeding me crosses. They were both young at the time and you could tell they were going to go on to, to, to big things. And sometimes they're quite frustrating to play with. Uh, they'd literally think they had to take everyone on in the team before they would cross it, or, or they, they'd want to score themselves. But but once they started to understand the game as well, they they would uh, they learned that if if they supplied someone else, then that would reflect well on them. And it was it was a good period for all our careers, I think. Who have you had the best understanding with? Another player. You just know what each other's doing. Um, 
Do you know what? I think I'm quite adaptable to to, uh, to my strike partner or to wingers, but I must I must say that I did I did have a really good relationship with Sam Baldock here at Brighton when we, when we uh, when we got promoted out of the championship. It was just um, it was a partnership that just worked really. He he would uh, he was maybe a little bit more of an in behind player. He, he would make the runs off me, and I I would sort of flick it onto him, and we'd we just linked up really well. One one goal that stands out was a goal against Aston Villa where I sort of overed it, and and he gave it back to me, and I shot from outside the goal uh, outside the box and scored. Uh, and that is rare. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's why he's bringing that one up. It was outside the box. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, no Sam, and uh, I also. Did quite well with Alfie Lafondra mm. at, at, at Rochdale, and um, Alfie's probably one of the best goal scorers I've played with. Wow. Well, let's go back to when you said about moving further away. So you were having that early dilemma between Rochdale, Accrington, and making lots of travel. You couldn't be more further away from Carlisle than down on the south coast, but you've loved it. You seem to have loved every moment of being by the fresh sea. Yeah, I have. I have. Um, obviously, scoring goals for Rochdale. Uh, there's a lot of talk in a January transfer window sort of and I'm I'm sort of looking at the big big northern clubs sort of say like the uh, like I think Leeds were in the championship at the time and th- there was a few more teams in the championship that, that, that would possibly take a chance on me and Brighton we, I get a phone call and uh, it's the club club chairman we've accepted we've accepted a bit from Brighton I'm like Brighton <laughs> like they Brighton had never been on my radar as as, as, as a northern boy and it was just all a bit of a whirlwind, really. I, we agreed terms, and the clubs agreed terms, and I came down, and and yeah, I was like, like a fish out of water. Really, I'd never been this far away from from home in England, and I can remember walking into to the the offices, and Paul Rogers was there, Dodge, and uh, he knew somebody uh, that was on the coaching staff at Rochdale, and. And he said, he said, listen, you'll, you'll love Brighton. I know it's difficult, it's, it's a long way and things, but you will love Brighton. And uh, and honestly, so many players end up staying here. You might even end up staying here. And I was like, no way will I ever stay this far away from home. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, it happened. And I still see Dodge now and he still reminds me of that conversation. The Offside Rule exclusives are available to download for free via Audio Boom and iTunes. We are, of course, going to come back to Brighton. Just want to pick up on something that you said about the January transfer window, because I have this image of all players keeping across, I don't know, Sky Sports breaking news ticker, that yellow strap. Are you all completely addicted to what's going on? Is there this little bubble of, you know, someone's going to join our club or we might actually believe in ourselves? I, I suppose it's less so with the January window now than compared to what it was at one point, more the summer window. Yeah, I think it's always uh, an exciting time for for a player and especially a player that's, that's sort of trying to progress and, and, and maybe doing well in that period of his career um, and yeah and obviously when, when you're getting reports from your agent and things that that, that, that clubs are making maybe making moves on you and, uh, and sort of like you then yeah you're, you're I think more glued to your phone rather than the TV because I'd like to think you'd know first before the TV <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like a too much of an opportunity for pranksters as well uh, yeah, I have heard of pranksters. Yeah, call, call some teammates calling each other up and and, and acting as, uh, as as managers and things. Jermaine Easter was uh, was quite a good one for that at Crystal Palace. Um, but fortunately, I don't believe I've ever been done with that one. <laughs> um, Palace and Brighton. 
<laughs> there's not many players that have, that have played for both clubs. And there's certainly far fewer that have played for Brighton, gone to Palace and then come back. So how did you make that work? And was it something that you loved proving yourself? We've understood that about you all the way through, any doubters. But is that part of your... I'm going to call it a warped personality <laughs> that wants to go away and then go, but I'll prove it, I'll come back and you'll accept me again. <laughs> no, it's not that at all. It's just it's just how it's all worked out. And um, and yeah, Crystal Palace gave me an opportunity back back when I went up there. And um, and I just like to think that that whichever whichever club I play for, um, I always try and give a hundred percent and and try and score goals, and I think I think both sets of fans have, have appreciated that. Did you understand the rivalry? Because you, you go around the world. I mean, if you'd have gone back to your days when you were playing in America, they'd be like, "What? Yeah. Crystal Palace and Brighton?" No, like like I touched on earlier, I was a Northern boy, and Brighton wasn't on my radar. So so, so that that uh, rivalry. So you accidentally went to Palace. No, no it wasn't accident. No, <laughs> that, but this this rivalry wasn't. Uh, I, I didn't really know about it, and even though I'd spent three and a half years at, at, uh, at Brighton, we'd never come across Palace, so I, I never, I never understood the the, the ferocity of uh, of sort of the hate between the fans, until I visited for Crystal Palace on only um, a matter of months after I signed for them, and then it was pretty hostile, and and, and now I fully understand about the rivalry. There had been your first spell here at. At Brighton, although it wasn't here in this amazing training facility because they've obviously changed a few times. But when you were here, there was a contract on the table, wasn't there? You could have stayed. There was a contract on the table, yes. There was. It wasn't... Uh, it, listen, we just didn't see eye to eye on it. Um, they felt I was worth something I felt was, I was worth more. And uh, and in the end, we, ju- we just agreed to, to sort of part company. And was that the first time that you felt that you had to dig your heels in a little bit? Because, of course, players' careers can be short. We're talking to you and you're an evergreen striker, so that's not quite the case with you in particular. But you know that it could be that that ACL injury that you ended up having could have been career-ending. You've got to, at some point, make the most of your heydays. Yeah, obviously, players have got lots of outside influences, as in, as, in, um, as pe- people close to them in, the, in their sort of inner circle, uh, including agents who... Who are saying what what they believe you to be worth? Um, you obviously speak to other players at other clubs and, and find out sort of what the wage structures are. And, and after doing what I did in that League One campaign, I, like I say, I felt I felt as though I was worth more than, than what the club were willing to pay me. And um, and yeah, and we, we we agreed we we agreed to disagree and and, and, and amicably party company and. And yeah, I suppose I did dig my heels in. It wasn't necessarily that I dig my heels in for a move to Palace. It was just I, I, I dig my heels in for a move away. That was a really strange time as well in terms of the money in the game, wasn't it? Because I think you've certainly been a player that's transitioned from when it was OK, it was all right, you could make an OK living, to it being like amazing money, especially as a striker, which was a very rich commodity to be. Yeah, it was. It was. It was big for me. Step, obviously, stepping out of League One into the Championship. That 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 was the biggest step for me. And obviously, that time I'm sort of 26, 27. You start starting to think the end could be near. Um, you you obviously don't know how long you're going to play and, and how long your body's going to hold up for. And I think I think probably the last four or five contracts I've signed, I've I've thought that they could be my last and my, my best. Uh, but fortunately, I have I've proven that I, I've 
I can play to, to an older age and, and I'm still enjoying playing now. When did you start thinking about the Premier League? Obviously, always watched it, always had a keen interest on it, um, even when I was sort of League Two, League One Championship. But in that Championship winning season, we, we were obviously, I think we were relegation candidates, we were, we were not expected to, to go up. So I, I felt as though the only viable way for me into the Premier League at sort of 28, 29 was to be promoted into it. I, I didn't feel as though I would ever score enough goals or, or be that popular that, that a team would come and sign me. So, yeah, promotion promotion was the only way and, and, and somehow we sort of rose from the bottom of the league after three games to, to, to manage to win a playoff final. Is that a slight failing in the system, though, that that's the only way that you felt you could do it? No, not not at all. No, that that was just my personal opinion. I I don't know. There might have been managers out there that that, that were, was keen on me. But listen, as as a player, you don't you don't get to find out as much as you would like. Uh, if if a club if a club makes an inquiry about you, there, there's there's no sort of law saying that the, the your your club has to tell you about it because um, obviously that can unsettle you and. and they they want you sort of focused on 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 the task in hand. So um, so yeah, you, you you just never know who's interested and, and who 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 admires you. I was preparing for an interview with you a few years ago, um, not long after you just joined back to Brighton, and as part of that, my diligent efforts, I'm going through lots of different newspaper cuttings and everything. And the one recurring theme was the amount of articles that had said in his final season, probably coming towards the end, like literally writing you off, quite literally. Has that ever got to you where you're just like, just stop it? You know, I'm thinking particularly as well, that period when you had your ACL, because that was, that was classed as career ending. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's always been good for me uh, because people have expected nothing of me. I've always just been able to to sort of get on with with my own business and, and, and when people don't expect anything, that's, that's, I think that's possible when you get the best out of me. I, I sort of try and prove people wrong. And have you watched it the other way around, where you've had maybe players that have come through academies that have been talked about very highly, and then they've sort of filtered off, maybe thought a lot of themselves. You don't have to name anything, but you know, there's obviously two sorts of different personalities here. Yeah, definitely. I think a, a lot of the academy graduates this, these days, um, especially sort of in, in the in the better academies, get get treated extremely well. Um, and they're used to that. And, and if they have to take a loan move away or, or, or have to take a permanent move away, it's, uh, it can be a real, a real um, sort of life changer. Really, it can, it can change change their whole aspect of football. And um, for me, it, it's always been upward momentum. It's, I've, I've always, um, I've always rose through the leagues. I've, I've only stepped back a couple of times uh, briefly. And um, yeah, I, I would much rather do it the way I've done it than, than sort of graduate through an academy. I mean, you are playing on the pitch now with, with players that perhaps half your age or coming in <laughs> close to, yeah. close to on, on occasions. And do you think, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Manchester United in particular recently, Jose Mourinho leaving, suddenly Oli Gunnar Solskjaer comes in, there's an arm around the shoulder. And is there a fragility to players coming through? Yeah, I, th- I think there is. Um, You've, I think, as as a sort of an, an older pro, you've you've got to you've got to look after players coming through. And I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, even though he's been in management a while, he's he's, he's still sort of respected for for what he was, a uh, top class finisher. And I think just that that buoyancy of him coming in and, and and that positivity and like you say, that arm round shoulders to 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 younger, maybe lost players has, has just done them the world of good. 
So where does Chris Hewton fit in in that? Because he is old school, um, very well respected, had a great career at Spurs. But you also get the impression that he's very approachable, open door policy. Yeah, he is. He always has been. Uh, he's, he's been brilliant for me. I can't speak highly enough about him um, ever, ever since the day I joined. Um, I was obviously worried how long I would play then. And he, he sort of settled me down and just said, listen, let's just take every day as it comes. And it's, what can I say? He's, he's, he's believed in me and I, I'd like to think that I, I'd repaid him with goals. Um, and he's always been honest, which, which uh, again, I mentioned, it's some, sometimes hard to find in football. But he's, he's always been deadly honest with me and, and, and told me what he's thinking and, and, and where I stand. And, and for that, I appreciate. How do you want to be remembered? I'm, I'm, I know I'm entering into that and you've not retired. I'm not retiring you, I promise. But how is it you want to be remembered? I mean, those individual goals, is it something collective? You know, when you've you got 20 goals, didn't you, one season, 22 goals, 2010-11, runner-up for top goal scorer. You know, those sorts of things that you want to be remembered by? Do you know what? I think, I think all footballers would like to be remembered, but I think the truth of the matter is that, is that you're not remembered. I think as soon as you stop playing, as soon as you stop scoring goals, that's... Uh, you're just another name on on the list of of husbands. And how long have you felt like that? Because that's quite something to come to as a conclusion. Um, yeah, I've, I think I've always thought, thought it. I mean, sort of someone is on your radar, um, scoring goals week in week out, and and everyone's chatting about him, and then all of a sudden he might pop up on your TV or something like that, and you're like, where, where did he go? Uh, and I think I think it happens quite often, and I think it's just out of sight, out of mind, and. And listen, obviously the great get get remembered gigs, Lampard, players like that, uh, sort of your, your Man United greats and, 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 and teams like that. But I think players at sort of my level, I, I don't really think you are, are remembered very much. But that's where you're going to get your glimpse, you see, because they'll do like a rerun of Gerard's best moments. It'll be his final game at Anfield and Brighton and Crystal Palace are playing and they win 3-1. You take that penalty, you get saved, but then you score the follow-up. So you're part of that history, aren't you? Yeah, sort of, yeah, a background, background part. <laughs> <laughs> I take it, I, I, I think that brings us full circle, really, because I, I understand from just chatting to you now that that's a really comfortable place for you to be. You really don't mind being in the background. Nah, obviously, um, sort of scoring goals is 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 what I, I love to and what I've always loved to do. And sort of, I suppose at, at at that precise moment, you are very much in the forefront. But yeah, as as far as sort of celebrations and things, I wasn't I wasn't really seen in the uh, in the championship uh, celebrations at, at Brighton because uh, I just felt content for 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 that one moment, sort of. You're happy in your content, but sort of six weeks later, the, the work starts again. I'm going to finish with where Brighton are at the moment. After the first season that you were back in the Premier League, you must have been, been ecstatic with where the club finished. Yeah, we were, yeah. Uh, I think we, we all spoke openly about um, just needing to stay in the Premier League but by hook or by crook, whether that be on, on sort of a, a last minute on the last day to, 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 to stay up. Um, Luckily, it never came to that, and and we 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 sort of stayed up quite comfortably. Um, was that a surprise? Because I was at the parade, uh, interviewing fans, and they were like, "Well, it's taken us however many years to get here. Was it thirty five or 40, 34 years to get here?" And let's just enjoy our moment in the sun, and then we'll be prepared for next season. So it seemed like it came as a surprise for most people. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and um, 
and look, luckily we got that three points, but but we didn't need it, and we, we were sort we were safe by March after how it all panned out. Um, so yeah, to to be, it, it was relatively comfy. Um, obviously, we, we we were always in and around it, and we were very aware of it. And we, we've just gone into this season with the exact same mentality, and I think, I think you need to do that for at least three years in the Premier League before the club can can really start to grow and 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 feel feel established and become an established Premier League team. And your contract runs till 2020. What is it that you'd like to tick off before before that comes to an end? <laughs> uh, well, I'd like... I'd, listen, I would like to, to prolong my career after that. That, that isn't, isn't the end. But, but up until that point, I would like to, obviously, first and foremost, remain a Premier League team keep playing as as as, uh, as much as I, I am at the minute uh, and yeah that's it really and, and and try and score as many goals as possible I think I've got um, about 19 goals to go I think to to become the all-time record scorer at Brighton which which would be nice but it's it's uh, it's quite an ask unfortunately thanks very much for speaking to us thank you very much the offside rule exclusives is produced by offside productions and edited by Lucy Lavery Podcast Network.